Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show for our financial hour. Joining us this week, Mike Johnson, Chad Sturgill, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. So, something I did in the summer when I was young, probably earlier than 13 years old, was we would go uh, to my grandmother's house in Corinth, Mississippi. And uh, Corinth, Mississippi is kind of northeast Mississippi. There was a train that came through there called the City of Miami. It was on the Illinois Central. And the train was named for the Terminus City, not where it started. Of course, it started in Chicago because it was on the Illinois Central Railroad. It would come through Corinth. Then I think go to Birmingham and then either Mobile or I don't think it went to Atlanta. I think it angled more uh, towards South Georgia and Florida and ended up in Miami. We'd go up and watch that train come in. West of there is the Mississippi Delta. There's another train that went from Chicago, same railroad line, Illinois Central, and it went down the Mississippi River, and it was called the City of New Orleans. Both owned by the Illinois Central Railroad, which now I think is part of uh, the Canadian National Railway. And But 
This song is by Arlo Guthrie. Uh, and we would sing this song at camp, Camp Mondamon in North Carolina. At uh, They had this thing called uh, uh, Assembly after breakfast every morning, going there and they'd sing a bunch of songs. There was a guy named Norval Rhodes who was from Virginia, quite an entertainer. He'd get up there on the piano, and then you have three or four guys playing the guitar. And, I mean, it was always a blast. But, of course, Arlo Guthrie, the uh, son of Woody Guthrie, you know, is uh, best known in my world for an album called Alice's Restaurant. And uh, (laughs) the song Alice's Restaurant goes uh, about 20 minutes. It's like the whole side of one album. It's a big, it really isn't a song. It's a, it's a story. But uh, anyway, so summertime makes me think of railroads, uh, passenger trains, and uh, my uh, grandmother's house in uh, Mississippi. All right, what do y'all want to talk about? Let's talk about, <coughs> excuse me get that out of the way right up front um let's talk about uh, what we've been seeing in the market here recently um there's an article in uh barons and it's a i think it's a good launching pad for a discussion uh more stocks have joined the rally why that's good news mostly um it's bad news if you're short bad news if you're short that's for darn sure <laughs> Um, Poor Jeremy Grantham. He's wrong Poor again. Poor guy. He'll be wrong and, until and he's, he's not. And he's a billionaire, and he manages $65 billion. Yeah. I mean, what is it? And boy, they act like he is a guru. Yeah. Hell yeah he had one one call right back right before the financial crisis. Yeah. That goes a long way for uh, – we'll, we'll find out how long keeps that carries getting you interviewed. Yeah. Um, no, what, what this is talking about is the market rally. Uh, we've, we've talked on here, you know, you've had, you have a huge discrepancy even today between the S and P 500 and the Dow. Um, you know, yeah. you're talking, you know, 13%, 13 points, uh, roughly of performance uh, of performance. Um, so huge discrepancy, but what we've seen the last, you know, roughly three weeks is this rally broadening out from just the mega tech companies, your Apples and uh, Metas, Microsoft, you're starting to see it broaden out into other sectors, uh, namely uh, financials. That's a big one um, because back in March, you had all the the banking issues. Uh, That's kind of getting behind us now. Um, We hope. We hope. Um, But you're, you're starting to see, you know, JP Morgan, their results came out. They, you know, their earnings were good. Um, and, uh, you know, they actually bought up one of the banks that went under, um, and at a discounted price, at a discounted price. And that was accretive for them. Um, but we invest not in momentum stocks. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about this in depth later, you know, value versus momentum versus growth, but what we invest in, we invest in companies, um, you know, hopefully well-run companies, companies that typically pay dividends. And what we've seen in, in our areas is the last two and a half, three weeks, those areas have started performing well. Um, and you're, you're having that gap start to close between yeah. the momentum and the other. Um, 
the equal, this is kind of a 10,000 foot view, the equal weight S&P 500 uh, is up 6% in the last three weeks. So equal weight meaning rather than market cap weighted like right. the S&P 500, you know, so your larger stocks in the S&P 500 have a larger percentage allocation. The equal weight is everything is equal. Um, you've seen that start to catch up. Does it up rebalance to yeah. pretty often? I forget how often it rebounces, but it does maybe quarterly. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, so it's it's been catching up, but there's still uh, a huge discrepancy. You know, the equal weight S and P five hundred is up about eight percent versus the S and P five hundred, which is about double that this year. Okay. So there's still that big discrepancy, but you're starting to see that gap close uh, between the two, um, and. Part of that is, you know, the the recent data that's coming in, um, you know, be it employment numbers, uh, spending, earnings, um, and and especially the earnings part of it. That's when you're cutting through some of the noise, some of the headline types of things. You know, what's the Fed going to do? What's you know, when's the recession coming? Quote unquote, um, cutting into. You know, what are the companies doing? How are they performing? What are you seeing fundamentally? And from a valuation standpoint, we've been saying that these areas look cheap from a value standpoint. And now that's starting to play out some in the market. Um, but, you know, I, th- I thought this – so early this year we were saying, you know, this is going to be the most predicted recession in the history of markets. If it ever happens. If it ever happens. Um, and you know, what we're seeing now is a rally that was not predicted by anybody except Jeremy Siegel, but he, he's always predicting a rally. So he's always, he's, he's usually going to be right. He doesn't count. So he's going to be more right. He's going to be right more than Jeremy Grantham just statistically. Um, but, um, nobody saw this coming. Um, and that's, that's the nature of markets. The market will do what you don't think it's going to do. That's, that's what makes it a market because the market's a forward looking mechanism, but you still have the noise out there. So JP Morgan, uh, this was actually, uh, about a month ago. This was in uh, June 22nd. Um, U S stocks head for punishing sell-off as quote, Unknown unknowns could drag the market lower. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Now, J.P. Morgan, their analysts, they have good stuff, but unknown unknowns. Well, they're so invested in it. I mean, Jamie Dimon himself has been out there a number of times saying, oh, we're headed for something bad. So now, you know, there's a thing in this business. It's called Ubris. It's called pride it's called saving face and 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 people in this business oftentimes make public pronouncements when it might be better not to yeah you know that's right and 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 they come out and say things you know that uh, i don't know what what i don't know if they're talking their book i hate to think that a big bank like J.P. Morgan would be short uh, the market. You know, they're they're not a a, a thing that would typically right. get short, but they they get behind this uh, narrative, and there's no way to really 
dial it back in once it's out there. It, um, that's you my know, thought. Unknown unknowns. I mean, that's the nature of market. I mean, that's something that you don't. That's a, that's a surprise is what they're talking about. I mean, that's the nature of yeah. market. That's the nature of a surprise. You, it's something you don't know about, and that comes when you're not expecting it. But saying that unknown unknowns will drive the market down in the short term is a silly thing to say, obviously. But it is, it's always what's not priced into the market that sends it lower, just like It's like saying. when so, Chad some, says something. I mean, we don't... You never know what I'm going to say, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. That's an unknown unknown. It's an unknowable. Know? Yeah. But it's not... Well, at least we don't think he moves markets by, you know, saying something. I mean, we, we're not to that point yet. No, we're getting You're there, not though. Henry Kaufman. We're getting there. We're getting closer. Back, I mean, when I was in college, we had a, a thing in our dorm room. My, my roommate printed it off. Said there are certain things we'll never know, but we'll never know that we don't know them. It's like <laughs> it's you know it's this circular thinking. That's pretty good. Um, and you know it, it's similar to this, but the the point of this is is that there's always a narrative out there. Um, and a lot of times the quote unquote experts don't know what the market's going to do. Right. They never know what the market's going to do, um, because the markets are always different, uh, in the short run In the long term, you know, the laws kick in. There are certain things that dictate where things are going. Uh, but in the short run you have narratives and the way we view it and, You've got all this uh, movement and uh, noise and uh, gyrations of the market going right. on every day, and you can use that to your advantage um, when you're analyzing a particular company, a particular sector, then you can see all this other stuff, this speculation going on around it, but you can own a good company, hopefully at a good valuation and own it through the market volatility. Um, and what, what we try to do is invest in dividend paying stocks, uh, primarily so that our clients at least get paid while we wait. Right. Um, and so this environment, um, it, <laughs> It supposedly was, you know, a great environment for contrarian investors. Um, I was reading something that, uh, you know, if you just bought the things that went down the most last year, you know, it would have been a great year. Well, but that's that that's a different type of investing. That's the opposite of momentum investing. That's right. reverse momentum investing. And you have to be very careful of that because a lot of times when things go down significantly, sometimes there's a reason for it. Um, and the goal of value investing is to look at some of these things, analyze the company, analyze the fundamentals, and try to sort out, okay, is this warranted or is this just markets? Yeah. I was talking about the city of Miami earlier. It started in Chicago. This is a train at 8.40 a.m. By 6 o'clock that night, it was in Corinth, Mississippi, and guess where it was by 12 o'clock the following night? Yeah. Stewart, Florida. And then it got to Miami. No, no, that was the next, that was at noon the next day, 1221 noon. Got to Miami at 3 o'clock that afternoon. So you're saying 30, it wasn't a fast trip? 31 hour trip. Ooh, wow. 31 hours. Of course, it's stopping in all those places. You think about the time of rail travel, 
I mean, and and this is just a little bit of history, you know. Back then, uh, stock brokerage firms communicated by what was that thing called the te- the the teletype box? You know, stuff would print on the ticker. Everything was different back then, but somehow markets could disseminate information then, too, just just yeah. like they do now, and. I think people took more time to think about it. Yeah. Instead of now. And that's what we try to do here. We, you know, we spend a lot of time deciding whether we're going to build a position and then we spend time building the position, but we, we sit with these things for years. Some of them. Sure. Sure. Just added a stock. That's a well-known REIT (coughs) real estate investment trust. Yeah. Real estate investment down. It's it's one of the bigger ones that's out there. Well, and and that's and it's a it was a roll up of all those little limited partnerships that they did. They rolled it up into one public stock, and we've owned it in the past. Yeah, we got out, and it's gotten absolutely smacked um, and hammered with higher interest rates. So we're starting to add now. Right, right. The other thing you're starting to see, but you uh, get to know these things over the years. Right. And you, you, when you first look at a company and you get to understand how they operate, you understand management. Um, and then like in, in the case of this company, you know, we sold it because valuations got way too high, which was great for our investors. Um, but the market, you know, will do things, you know, interest rates, commercial real estate headlines, different things like that. And you get the, you know, the baby gets thrown out with the bathwater sometimes. But if you have followed a company, uh, understand management, how they operate, that's when you see opportunities. And that's, that's how you build, build, you know, uh, your core, you know, knowledge uh, base, you know, in different, different things. Yeah. And I mean, you develop a relationship with your investments over the years. You develop relationships with people, and then you can also develop a relationship with a company and, and how it trades. You know, I was talking to my son about it. He's, he's trying to learn all this. and the I was talking about this in the show that – it's one thing to read about a company and actually, but actually the way you really learn about something is by actually investing in it. I mean, that's how you learn about a stock. You, it, until then it's all conjecture, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, you I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. This might do this. This might do that. It might do all this stuff, but when you're invested in it, that's when you feel it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's now there are no shock absorbers. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, good and bad. Uh, right. and, and honestly, you know, for a young investor, um, one of the worst things that can happen is if they're speculating and they hit a few right early on. Oh, that's, it, it really is because... That's what we're dealing with the, here, then, too. I then had some stories he, from previous uh, stops that would just uh, probably depress you to hear how exactly that happened. They thought they were on their way, and then uh, not long after that, they were flat broke and owed money. 
Uh, and and well, that's, I mean, that's leverage and exactly. spec- that's leverage. That's not going to happen in this case I just discussed. No, no, no. No, no it won't. <laughs> I, I will make absolutely certain it doesn't. Yep. But, I mean, you know, you, you, there's nothing like – I got in the bond business in 1978, and within three years, uh, every municipal bond I had been looking at in 78 was trading for half its price. I saw bonds go from par to 50 cents on the dollar. The only reason that happened is because interest rates went way up. And I saw old guys in the business get out of the business. I saw my dad basically become functionally broke, but we just kept going and, you know, uh, figured out how to get through it. And, and, And I saw huge fortunes get made with people who had cash when things got dirt cheap and who you know, had the foresight to buy bonds when they were dirt cheap. And let me tell you something. There's always a silver lining. I don't care how bad the market is. There is always a silver lining. Mm -hmm. If you take nothing from what we've said here today, at least hear that, you know, uh, don't blame me if the silver lining doesn't happen on your schedule. (laughs) I mean, I ain't responsible for that. You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show. Don't leave your retirement to chance. If you don't have a financial plan, or if you do have one and want a second set of eyes on it, call us, 859-233-0400. It's never been more important to know what you own. We'll be back in just a few minutes with more of the Financial Hour. Stay tuned. My name is Tom Dupree. Without a plan, you're doomed to failure. Many people have no idea how they plan to tap their retirement investments for income during retirement. At Dupree Financial Group, we specialize in retirement investing. That means turning your growth portfolio or your IRA into an income portfolio. You may need to draw on it for a lot of years. Come in and let us review your plan and give you some ideas. Call us at 859-233-0400 and set up a complimentary appointment to review your investments. Listen to the Tom Dupree Show at News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. That's Dupree Financial Group at Dupree Financial. God said, Abraham, kill me a son. Abe said, man, you must be putting me on. God said, none. Abe said, what? God said, you can do what you want, Abe, but now, next time you see the coming man, 
give him no clothes. Asked poor Howard, where can I go? Howard said, man, ain't but one place I know. And uh, Sam said, tell me quick, man, I got to run. Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show for our financial hour. Joining us, Mike Johnson, Chad Sturgill, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. All right, so I just talked about the Illinois Central uh, running down through the Mississippi Delta. That's a railroad. But what's the highway that goes next to it? It's Highway 61. Highway. This song is by Bob Dylan. It's performed here by Johnny Winter. Uh, Highway 61 starts up in Minnesota because that's where the Mississippi River starts. And I guess it ends up somewhere around Pascagoula or, you know, somewhere down on the coast. I don't think it goes to New Orleans. I never saw it there. But uh, that's the road through the Delta. If you're in these little towns like Clarksdale or Tunica or Vicksburg or, you know, Natchez, any of them, Highway 61 is the north-south highway. Now, when when we were little, uh, my mother had friends that lived in the Delta. The Delta is down kind of in a valley. The, the soil is as black as this cell phone. Uh, that's why they planted cotton and beans and things down there and those people had these big farms and somebody might have a party and people would drive 200 miles just to go up and i mean but they were doing 100 miles an hour on highway 61 i mean they would they would literally it was flat and straight yeah and so they'd be there in two hours that's just how they rolled in the mississippi delta and, of course, this song, the Bob Dylan version is, well, it's Bob Dylan. Johnny Winter takes some liberties with it here, which I sort of enjoy. Anyway, you guys got other stuff to talk Johnny about. Winter's an underrated musician. He's oh, not he known was, by a lot of people, but he was a huge influence on a lot of uh, big acts that uh, that people are very familiar with, household names like the Rolling much. Stones. Very but much I, listening to that too. You can, I mean, George Thorogood almost copied him. Did he? I mean, just I yeah, mean, the, the, like the way playing, he yeah. was uh, singing the the slide guitar. Yeah. I mean, that if if the vocals weren't there, you'd think that was George Thorogood. Well, you know, Johnny Winter was he and his brother Edgar were both albinos, and I mean, albino. Uh, you know, they were they were just white as could be. Um, they grew up in uh, Port Arthur, Texas. If you've ever been to Port Arthur, uh, you don't probably want to go back. It's 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 actually south of Beaumont. Beaumont is considered not such a great place. It's almost in Louisiana. It's on I-10. But south of there is Port Arthur. And the river that goes down the side of Texas and Louisiana is called the Sabine S A B I N E river and down and Port Arthur is almost down in the absolute corner, Southeast corner of Texas before it goes out in the Gulf. And, uh, 
it's a big place where they would bring offshore rigs in and have them serviced. And, you know, you, you bring an offshore rig in out of the Gulf, I mean, those things can stack up to be, you know, 1,000 feet tall or something. And uh, I guess they had to break it down. And, you know, you, you bring a rig in, you're going to work on it for a year and a half, you know, maybe. Yeah. And uh, they, they had those things. And it's very industrial. But, and then and I'm talking about, I'm getting off the thing here because I'm talking about Johnny Winter. But so when I lived in Houston, there was a, I could go down to Galveston, which is sort of southeast, and then it's on the ocean. Take this ferry over to a place called Bolivar, which was sort of east of Galveston, across Galveston Bay on the ferry. And there was a road there, Highway 87, Texas Highway 87. It ran up the southeast coast of Texas all the way to Port Arthur. And I'm telling you what, you'd drive that road, you'd be lucky if you saw three cars coming the other direction. I mean, there was nobody out there, you know, and the beach was like right next to you, but it was kind of nasty because you had uh, oil rigs out in there. And so uh, you'd, you'd walk on that beach and you'd get tar balls all over your feet. Oh, man. Yeah, and that's, it was that way at Galveston also. But, I mean, there was nobody up and down that road. Well, Ike and two or three other hurricanes, that road is gone. And wow. the Department of, uh, you know, Highways said, hey, we ain't building that back. But when you got to Port Arthur, you took a left. Going, that's the only way you could take. You couldn't go straight. You'd be in the water. Couldn't take a right. You'd be in the water. So you had to go left or north. And there was a boat right there, or as a restaurant, and it, the shrimp and crabbing boats would pull right up to it. It was called Sartins, S-A-R-T-I-N-S, and they had deep-fried barbecue crab. Oh, oh wow. gosh, it was unbelievable. Bad. Fried shrimp, they had oysters. And, and, you know, nobody in Houston knew about it. Because, I mean, here's a city of – seven million or five million people or whatever it was and you wouldn't see anybody out exploring and looking at it i just find stuff most people don't that's how i found you all by the way. but anyway <laughs> looking under the rocks exactly <laughs> all right i'm done talking about all that go ahead all right um this is really about you know knowing what you're invested in right um so uh, James McIntosh, uh, he's a columnist for Wall Street Journal. Um, so his stuff is is pretty good. Um, this one, he's he's talking specifically on ETFs, uh, but it, it cuts to knowing what you own. Um, so <clears throat> he looks at three value ETFs. They have value in the name. So one is the S&P 500 value ETF. Another is a Russell 1000 value. And then there's a Vanguard value ETF. The point of, of the article is with the S&P 500, quote, value ETF, you look at the stuff that it's invested in. And by so does it not have the real expensive names in there? That's it, the point. Does it take 
does it so, put everything in there? And see, that's that's how you that's knowing what you own because the S and P five hundred value ETF does have Microsoft, Amazon, Meta. They they have that in is this it ETF. Market cap weighted or is it equal weighted? Uh, so it's it's market, market cap. cap weighted. Oh, this one God. is well, that's not value then. Exactly. No. So you look at the discrepancy. Yeah, so that's, that's the, a misnomer. The S and P five hundred value ETF is up about eleven percent versus the Vanguard value, which actually is value. You know, you're looking at you know price to earnings ratios, price to sales, price to cash flow, things like so that. So they're taking out the expensive stuff. They take that out. That's up about three and a half percent year yeah. to date, and it's the discrepancy value because we like to underperform. <laughs> That's, That's why we SP said this is what they choose. This is their criteria: book value to price ratio, earnings to price ratio, and sales to price ratio. So when most things are pretty elevated, that's uh, that's there's not really value. Sure. There. But but you you get the same thing on growth uh, ETFs because different. Fund companies will uh, will uh, define that differently. Uh, so the the pure growth ETF excludes Facebook, Amazon, right, uh, Meta because they declined so much last year. It's more like a momentum ETF. So the 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 point of this is know what you own because if you're if you're somebody out there, and you say okay. I think value stocks look cheap. I'm going to buy the S&P 500 value ETF. Seems like a good way to do it, right? It's like going well, to an organic restaurant and they raised the the food was raised in the back of somebody's van. I mean, yeah. in other words, it's got a criteria on there that really doesn't mean anything. Exactly. Or, or it's a, we went to a restaurant one time that was far, it was called something farm fresh. Everything in that restaurant I can promise she was from a can so it grew at a farm somewhere it just went it in a can it just went in a can well and on this True. too they rank the stocks s&p and I, russell does a different i mean they just basically have a different number of components in their their indices uh, but uh, similar methodology though but what s&p does is they'll score the the company that has the the lowest price to book or, or book to price value They'll give out a one, and then the one that's the most expensive, they'll give a five hundred, and and uh, it's they combine those scores, and that's how they they cook right. it up. But they take about half of the S and P five hundred and put it in the value index, and the other half in the growth. That's how they they come up with a score. I think it might actually be three hundred each, but so there's definitely overlap. But uh, but then it's market cap weighted. So if if uh, even if it's barely in the value index, let's say Microsoft or Apple or something, it's going to be. It's going to show up because of the market cap weighting of it. So it's going to be a big component. You, you, if you're trying to play value, you got to come up with a different way of doing it than buying the S&P value index. So th this year, if you would have bought the S&P 500 value index, you're like, hey, I'm, I made a great decision. Look how that's done versus, you know, the, another value. Well, it's because what you own isn't actually value. I mean, this year it would have worked out well for you. Other years it wouldn't. Um, and because the the quote unquote uh, or the 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 actual growth stocks in there could come back to bite you. Know what you own. If you went out and you said I'm going to buy value now, and you bought this, you didn't buy value. Um, and we see this all the time. Um, people bringing in portfolios and they're like, okay, I'm diversified, or I, I have exposure right. to value and growth. Well, dissect the 
the mutual fund, the ETF, what's it actually invested in? What kind of overlap do you have? The correlations are probably really high on a lot of those funds. So it's, yeah. it's know what you own. Which is something that we can help you with, obviously, here. We, we can look through and see what the, what the composition of each of those funds or indices or just combine it all for you to, to show you what you really have. And you may have it in, in name only. You may not have value in your portfolio. Well, a lot of people... I think don't want to know there. It's not that they don't want to know. It's that, you know, you can tell them the facts. I mean, I, I, I've told a lot of people the facts and it, and it's just like, boom, just goes right over their head. They have it in their head and it's very hard to find somebody who is legitimately interested in what they own in their portfolio and wants to know why they own it and what it does. I mean, most people regard investing as kind of a black art. It's like something that they don't know about and probably can't know about. It's better left to the professionals. Sometimes I feel like when we're talking to people about this kind of stuff, it's like, we're just chasing our tail, you know, because if you if you really want to learn, it can be helpful to you. Do you want it to be helpful? Or are you interested in really knowing what's in your portfolio so that once we have a bad market, you can feel confident <coughs> about buying more of some of these things? That's where people get hammered. It's not in good markets. It's when the market turns bad. That's when people do stupid things. Really not stupid, but uninformed things. Emotional. Which I, turns out to be stupid. Yep. And then now here you are. You didn't ed- educate yourself. And now you don't know what you own. And now you're scared of something that you liked three weeks ago. Right. And that's the that's the planning aspect of it. Um, you, know, you, you plan in good times for when the bad times are coming. You research your investments in the good times because inevitably you're going to have a bad market. And you need to know what you own. uh, And that also leads to opportunities. Um, You know, like you said, add more, add something else, like like the REIT we were talking about earlier. Um, Because the time will come when it will be a good investment again or maybe you take profits. Um, but so know what you own. Don't take the name of the fund. It's like, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. You know, same thing with a, a, a fund or an ETF or any product that's pushed out there. Don't take it based on the name of the product. Um, you know, cause you know, value growth, ESG, uh, quality, you know, all these things are arbitrary. You know, how, how do you define quality? You know, how do you define, these are questions that should be asked of that. Um, you know, how, how is this defining value? How's this defining growth? Um, and so again, know what you own. There should be a reason and research behind everything that's in your portfolio. And that reason ultimately should be to accomplish, you know, whatever your goals are and where you are in life. Well, I want to jump back to the making bad decisions uh, based on emotion because that can happen in good markets too. There are people who will chase very expensive stocks because they 
think that, well, it's probably going to go higher, even though it's just quadrupled in value over the last few years. And right. sometimes that happens, but most of the time it doesn't. The trees don't grow to the sky. So, uh, they, I mean, you really have to be uh, as unemotional about investing as you can. You need to have a, basically a blueprint. Why do we own this? What Mike's talking about, know what you own, but know why. Why is it adding value for the portfolio? And I don't mean value in the context of we think it's inexpensive. Why is it... Uh, going to be worth more down the road or we right. think it's going to be worth more down the road than it is today so therefore it's a value you got to know those things but people make those bad decisions about their money when they're the most emotional uh, we've seen people uh, buy things when the market was very expensive we've seen people liquidate their, their accounts uh, just because they couldn't sleep at night with the uh, with the the, the losses they were seeing temporary anything losses yeah. causes you emotional pain mental and emotional pain you should change it Right. It's that simple. I don't care. I mean, if it's causing you trouble, then you don't need that. But we try to navigate the, navigate you through that tough time. Yeah, and then we can once talk things calm it. down, yeah. then we sit down and reevaluate right. how you should do it. Okay, we, obviously we're too scared at this point that because markets will go down. Uh -huh. uh, they've proven it. So uh, let's figure out a way so the next time it goes down, you're not going to, to have trouble sleeping. You'll be able to handle it. And that's what the planning can do for you. Well, and, and to that point, it's sometimes, most of the time, it's not an immediate change. So, you know, if you come in you're uncomfortable with something we're talking it's like okay let's let's adjust this for the future um that's a gradual thing uh that's not hey you know the market's down i'm nervous and we sell 50 percent of the stocks right that that's not good for anybody so it, it might be a gradual thing so as the market recovers uh, or as your investments recover then you take some profits and you slowly make those adjustments so, but it's very seldom is a knee-jerk reaction uh, the best thing because, uh, you know, either you're buying emotionally or you're selling emotionally. And like we were talking, you know, this year, you know, the emotion for everybody was there is no way I'm buying in this market. You know, 2022, terrible year. Air, stocks and bonds went down. We're going into a recession. Uh, all, the the Fed Fed's raising rates. rates yep. You know, we're going into the next Great Depression because what's going on with the banks, all this stuff buy gold, uh, all, you know, put it in an annuity, buy gold. Um, and you know, that was absolutely wrong. Uh, and, and I'll point out too, that the gold commercials are saying that, Oh, banks are going out of business. You're going to lose your money. Well, the government, whether it's right or wrong, that's a conversation for another day, but they basically backstopped everybody's deposits. So nobody lost a dime, but yet that that's not stopping the, uh, the fear mongers out there from uh, trying to scare you to think your bank's going to go out of business, but uh, that's there ought to be aside. penalties. Yeah. Absolutely, in this business for 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 lying. Yeah, on the air, there should also be p penalties in politics and in government, Amen. misleading people for for lying. You know, and it, it happens. But the point is, uh, if you're going to tell the truth about something like about somebody's portfolio or what you own. A lot of times you're standing there by yourself. Nobody, it's strange. There's so much groupthink nowadays. People simply don't want to hear the truth sometimes. Right. And, you know, when we're presenting something uh, to prospect or to existing clients, um, it's just, you know, here are the facts. Uh, and then 
translate the facts to them? How do how do those facts apply to their situation? Um, and it's it's really it's that simple. And if if they ag- agree with it, uh, great. If not, it's like this is these are the facts. This is the truth. Um, there's nothing else that we can say or do about it. No. Um, and you know that's that's where it comes down to the the individual um, making the decision. Uh, but it's our job is to communicate clearly, present facts, make recommendations based on facts, and have accountability. Um, right. it's, it comes down to that. Knowledge is power. And when we take some of the, the fear, I mean, some of the, if, if we, if you learn about the investments you own, if you learn about investments in general and understand they go up and they go down sometimes, but they go up a lot more than they, more often, you take some of the fear out of it. You're able to, to withstand those downturns and, and achieve your financial goals. So in summary, know what you own and why we're here to educate, guide and empower our clients. And we are here to help call us. 859-233-0400. You can also go to our website, duprefinancial.com and schedule an appointment directly on our website. We appreciate you listening to our financial hour. Max the banker said to Louis the King, I got 48 red, white, and blue shoe strings and a thousand telephones that we